Welcome here. My name's Matt, and uh, if you are a guest here with us, uh, glad to have you here as we uh, remember and uh, celebrate Christmas. Christmas Eve, the Christmas story, you've uh, heard it read, uh, heard it sung about, and uh, we also spent a bit of time uh, talking about the meaning of the Christmas story, and so uh, that's what we're going to do right now. Won't be long, but we think it's important to, to think what are we actually singing about? Why, why is this such uh, a big deal? Uh, you heard uh, Janelle mention that uh, we've been going through an Advent series as a church, kind of traditional thing that uh, the Christian church does, and it involves candles and, um, and different themes. So we started off a few weeks ago with the theme uh, of faith, and then hope, and then love, and then today is uh, the theme of peace, uh, the fourth candle, and then we'll light the fifth candle, which is uh, the Christ candle. Uh, but this theme of peace, I think, is, uh, is not just uh, fitting because it's part of the Christmas story, but because it's obviously something that, that humanity longs for. Uh, let me show it to you in the Christmas story. We heard it read, but this is where we kind of get it from, the core of the, of the announcement of the angels. Right? They come, the, the, the shepherds are there, there's a few angels, and then a host of angels in the sky. So this is Luke 2, 13 to 14. And suddenly, there was with the angel, just one, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So the, the announcement of the birth of Jesus comes right alongside with the announcement or, or sort of the promise uh, that there will be peace on, on earth, uh, which is a pretty compelling and uh, an interesting statement, uh, given the fact that... Uh, Human beings have always struggled for peace. Uh, it's something that, uh, especially this century, we long for, last few centuries. It's something that we, we desire. We don't want to be in conflict, and yet there continues to be conflict. I was reminded of this. Uh, I was at a Remembrance Day elementary school uh, assembly, and they told the story uh, of, of this girl. Her name is uh, Sadako uh, Sazaki. Uh, she is from Japan. Uh, she was uh, two years old when uh, the bombs were dropped in Hiroshima. Uh, she wasn't killed in them, but uh, by seventh grade, uh, she developed leukemia, as a lot of people did. They called it sort of A-bomb disease. And so when she was in hospital, her friend came to her and told her this legend, I think it's a Japanese legend, that if you fold 1,000 paper cranes, you know, like origami cranes, that then you will get better. So Sasaki kind of took this to heart, and she began to make paper cranes. Uh, of course, it was tough. She, she was sick. Uh, energy levels were low, but also it was tough to find paper in the hospital. So she would, uh, all the hospital charts, everything she could find, she would fold into these paper cranes. They're all over her room. Uh, people knew about it. People uh, came and were, were watching her do it. Her friends knew about it. Uh, depending on the story, the version that you read, uh, I found one where she uh, made it to 650 some odd cranes. Some said she made it to 1,000 cranes. Uh, but sadly, all the stories... Uh, have consensus that it, it did not work. And sadly, she did not make it. Uh, but from, that, uh, from her doing that, uh, the, the kids that she knew in the school system around, they started to make paper crane clubs where they would go and they would uh, fold paper cranes and it was really a peace movement. They wanted to advocate for peace. And this kind of grew in Japan uh, to the point that in 1958, uh, they added a monument in her honor to the Hiroshima Peace Park. And so here's a picture of it. Uh, this was uh, tough to tell, but at the top is, uh, is Sadako. She kind of has her arms outstretched, and above her is uh, a, a, a sculpture of a crane. And it is there to, again, advocate for peace. It's, it's in the Peace Park. At the bottom, uh, inscribed, you see it there. Uh, this is our cry. 
This is our prayer, peace in the world. And it struck me as I heard that story and was kind of thinking of this opportunity to speak about peace, that that, that monument or that story, I think really is a good, um, uh, whatever you want to say, representation, maybe symbol of our relationship with peace. And by that, I mean that, that there, what you see, a very touching, heartwarming, earnest effort for peace, uh, activity around peace, a, a genuine desire. This is our cry. This is, I think everyone would say, we want this. We want peace. And yet, it was ultimately ineffectual. I think we know there's a lot more powerful people with a lot more powerful resources working for peace. And yet, it's probably fair to say that on some level, they, they might as well be folding paper cranes for all the peace that it achieves. So why is that? Why is that the world uh, seems to have such a great desire for peace? Again, uh, in, in our century, even more so probably than any centuries before, and yet it always eludes us. Well, my experience in this field is limited. I'm not a political scientist. I'm not an international policy expert, military strategy, anything like that. Uh, my job is to read the Bible. And, uh, and what I found in reading the Bible is that there is a big difference, uh, a marked difference between the peace that the world uh, uh, offers or the way that they try to achieve peace and what the world says, uh, sorry, what the Bible says about peace. Uh, and so this is the first kind of, there's a couple of statements this morning uh, to kind of help us think about peace in light of the Christmas story. Here's the first one. There, when it comes to peace, uh, for the world, uh, their kind of peace is really from the outside in, but for God, it's from the inside out. I think that's a good way to understand the difference in terms of the, the means by which they hope to achieve peace. And so what do I mean by that? Well, let's think about the world, right? If you think about all of the peacekeeping, peace-creating initiatives, they are some external power, some strategy, some plan out there that is trying to force people, make people to be peaceful. And this works to some extent. That's why, that's why we do it. Seems like it's a fairly good idea. In fact, at the time of uh, Jesus, when Jesus was born, the world, in a sense, the known world, was experiencing what they called Pax Romana, the Roman peace, because the Roman Empire had basically conquered everyone, and so there was a peace that, you know, if you were a Roman citizen, you enjoyed a high level of peace for like centuries. Some people say a thousand years was this Roman peace, and they achieved it by forcing it on the, the known world at the time, from Europe all the way to Asia. And they enforced it by the Roman legions that would go out. And if there was ever a rebellion or conflict, they would put it down. And so if you were against them, it wasn't such a great time. But if you're in the Roman Empire, it was a very good time, right? Art flourished, infrastructure flourished, right? A lot of the advancements in civilization was a good time. The, the problem, of course, is that it did not last. Uh, the Roman Empire crumbled. And with it, the, the peace that was kind of holding the world together, it all fell apart. There was warring factions again and again. That's what you see in the history of human civilization. That by some means, some power, we achieve some sort of peace, but then it falls apart. World War I, there was some peace that was achieved, fell apart. World War II, same thing, fell apart. It was a good and necessary thing to push back evil, tried to establish peace, right? League of Nations, that didn't work out. United Nations, kind of working out. Economic interdependence kind of holds their peace together. We have peacekeepers. We, have, we, have, we call them UN peacekeeping forces to go and to try to establish peace. And it, it holds things together to some extent, but there's still, obviously, conflict in the world. You could say the same thing on a smaller scale. Right? Think of our cities. Think of our families. In our cities, what do we have? We have officers of the peace 
were there to do what? To try to keep people from creating problems, from committing crimes, from getting conflict. And so what do we do? We give them tickets and, and we tell them, don't speed anymore. And then we sort of do, but then we, when they're not there, we speed anyway. And we get into jail, some of us, and uh, then when we get out, we just, people go and do it again. There's, there's some measure of peace that's established by the, by the authorities, and it's a good thing, but it, it's not complete, and it, and it very easily can fall apart. Same thing in our families. If you have children, you, you hopefully have some set of rules and consequences, right? To not hit people and not take things and not whine and complain, and um, you know how well that works it, to some extent, it works, but there's still a lot of conflict. It's conflict in our cities, conflict in our homes. Probably, probably if you have kids, on the way here there is conflict, right? There's, there's conflict that seems to, to grow even though, even though there are external mechanisms to try to enforce peace, and they work to some extent. They don't last. They're not complete. So why? Again, why is that? Why is it that that kind of peace, the world's peace, never lasts and I would say, I think it's because uh, the world misunderstands the, the true origin of conflict. We tend to think that conflict starts out there somewhere. But really, uh, what, what the Bible helps us understand is that it actually begins in here. And there's a, a great couple of verses in James, the book of James, where he's writing about, about this. And here is uh, the insight, I think, that he brings uh, James is writing about the, you know, the, conf- the quarrels. James 4, 1 and 2. He asks, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. James is, is talking to us about our natural inclination, which is to think that if we're in conflict with someone, it's probably their fault. Right? If, if you're in conflict with a friend or a spouse or someone, uh, there is this, you don't have to try. There's this something in you that can automatically list all of the reasons why they're wrong. It's obvious they're wrong. In fact, if they would just realize they were wrong, this would all be over very quickly in our minds. What is that? That's just the human nature that we tend to see the errors of others as much larger than our own. In fact, we have huge blind spots. And so... What James, what the Bible is saying is, look, if you're wondering why there's quarrel, why there's wars, why there's fighting, you shouldn't be looking out there. You should be looking in here, which is an uncomfortable truth, but, but a truth nonetheless. What the Bible seems intent on emphasizing for us as human beings is that we are much more broken, much more conflicted than we realize. And I have a few more verses uh, from the book of Romans, which the Apostle Paul is writing it. He's writing about the nature of God, the nature of human beings. And I want to give you these verses because it does really, I think, cut to the heart of the issue for us and the origin of conflict for us. Here's Romans 3, 10 to 11. He says this, about people, all people, all over the world. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. And by that, he means on our own, right? According to our own devices, we don't tend to seek for God. We, we tend to think that we got things figured out. Right? That was Genesis 3, the Garden of Eden. What happened? Right? God says something and human beings are like, you know what? I think we got this figured out. I don't think I really need to appeal to you. I, I can be my own authority. I can be my own wisdom. But it goes further. 
right? Because of this, this nature that we have, a few verses later, here's also how it describes human beings. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. Which I know are not exactly Christmas-sounding verses, a little heavy, I get it, but, but I put them there because I think they ring true in terms of what it means to be human, if you think about the path that we leave behind us as human beings, there, there's, there's bloodshed certainly in human history, but even in our own lives, there's, there tends to be ruin and misery. The, the, the way of peace as human beings, we don't tend, it doesn't seem like we know what it is. And if you look at the connection that's being made there in, in Romans, it says that no one seeks for God and then no one really knows peace. What that tells us is that uh, the root of our conflict is, is much deeper than we realize. Right? It's not just that we have conflict with others in our lives. It's not just that we have conflict within ourselves. We actually have a conflict with God, uh, which the Bible calls sin. Uh, sin is basically just a, a word to articulate the disposition of our heart, which is like we don't, we don't need God. We don't need his rules, his, his wisdom for our life. We're going to go our own way. And what, what ended up happening in the Garden of Eden when sin came into the world is that there was then a separation there's a separation between us and God himself, the one who is life and love and peace. And what that did to our hearts is that we became corrupt and very hard. And you can see that. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of beautiful things in the world, a lot of great things that human beings have done, but there is an abiding sense of hardness, isn't there? An abiding sense of conflict. The very fact that even though we have the best minds working on how to achieve peace in our world that can't do it should tell us something about us. We, it could be that we're the problem. Right? It may not be out there, it's just in the structures. It could be the common denominator is, is us. That's why the external forces never actually bring peace, because the world it can't, can't change us, can't, can't transform us, certainly can't address our relationship with God. Only God can do that. And that's exactly what he was up to that first Christmas. That's what the whole thing was about. Right? That God was bringing peace, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. So here's our second kind of statement. Uh, Jesus, right? the one who came at Christmas, Jesus, he came to bring true peace. And by true peace, I mean genuine peace, complete peace, lasting peace. And you can see the difference in the way that he did it. He didn't come with the angel armies of heaven. He could have. Right? He's the son of God. He's the almighty creator. He's, he's God himself come in human flesh. He could have come with angel armies enforcing a peace on the earth. They would have the power to do it. That's not what he did. He came not as a conquering king or ruler. He came as a child. Why? Because he wanted to bring a peace and, and birth it in the heart of each human being so that it would be a genuine peace that, that would then go out into the world. How did he do it? Well, for that, we're gonna to look to another angel this time, this was the angel speaking to Joseph, talking to him about this very difficult situation he found himself in with a betrothed Mary, who apparently was with child, trying to figure out what to do. And uh, the angel comes to visit him and says this, Matthew 1.20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And that's, that's the key. That is the thing which Jesus came to do. N not to enforce a peace upon us, 
But to save us, to save us from who? Well, to save us from ourselves. To save us from the, the distance and the alienation and the condemnation that, that came because of us turning our backs on God. So God's peace, it began with the Christmas story, but it was completed with the story of Easter because the whole reason that Jesus was born was so that he would live a life of, of perfection, righteousness, that we could never live, right? completely peaceful with everyone, even though people were trying to start conflict, completely loving and gracious with everyone, revealing the power of God, the character of God. But then the goal of his life was actually not to live forever as a human being in that way, but to go to the cross, to take the penalty for our sin, to, to take all the conflict upon himself so that, so that in his sacrifice, our slates would be wiped clean and in his resurrection, we could see, oh, there, there is actually a hope for my life, not just now, but forever. In conquering death, he took away the consequence of sin and brought peace between us and God, which then means that we can actually know peace and, and express that peace to others. There's a lot of verses about this in the Bible, but here's, here's one, a short one. Uh, Romans 5.1, which says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's what he did. He, he brought a peace into our hearts. When we have faith, when we come to the point of believing, I, th I don't think I can do it on my own. The, the, the turmoil within me, the sense of, of whatever it is, uh, of regret, of remorse, the anger I'm struggling with, even just the sense of, of hopelessness for the future. Whatever it is that, that keeps us awake at night, at the cross of Jesus, we find the answer. Why? Because we see ourselves the way that God actually sees us. Not as rebellious children that are just to be cast off, but as those who are, who are lost and he chases after us. And, and he draws us into his, a relationship with himself through how? Through the giving of his own son. And when we see that clearly, we come to understand we are, we are more deeply loved, more deeply cherished, more deeply wanted than we ever imagined before. And from that, there is an internal peace that makes all other peace possible. Let me just say, inner peace, uh, it's about so much more than just learning to breathe well, you know? Uh, uh, there's a lot of people searching for inner peace and it often has to do with, with just emptying your mind, calming yourself, drinking vegan smoothies, whatever it is, right? There's a lot of means by which we try to achieve inner peace, but what the, the Bible makes very clear is that it means an actual end to conflict between us and the creator of the universe and then, and then between us and the other people in our lives because we see ourselves again as God sees us. And this is transformative. This is a genuine, uh, powerful piece. Uh, I've seen uh, people who've been racked with, with regret and remorse in their lives, just, just almost unable to wake up in the morning because of the, the things that they've done, because of the way their life is, and yet when they come to see and understand who they are in the eyes of God, that there is a, a life that floods into their heart, uh, a sense of understanding. I am genuinely loved. I'm forgiven for everything that I've done. And so I don't have to hate myself anymore. I don't have to be bitter at the world anymore. I can actually live my life in light of the, the grace that God has shown me. I've seen marriages. Marriages, bitter, acrimonious, contentious marriages. Two people just angry at each other for years. And yet when one person comes to see 
that, that they need grace from God. And that even though they are sinner, God loves them and forgives them completely. That softens their heart. And as soon as that happens, there begins to be a change in the whole dynamic. Where instead of always seeing the faults of others, they can extend grace and mercy. Marriages are transformed. Lives are changed. I've seen friendships restored. When one person humbles themselves, acknowledges, look, I, I'm sorry for what I said. I, I, I want us to be friends again. I want to extend the, the hand of friendship. How? Because God is is my friend through Christ. It's the power of the gospel of Jesus that actually brings peace, a lasting, genuine peace into individual human beings and human relationships and families. Once we understand the power of the peace of the gospel of Jesus, there is no conflict that is too deeply entrenched that it can't be transformed. And where this leads, you may be thinking already, is, is on a global scale because... That's what we started with, right? The angel said, peace, peace on earth. And you might be thinking to yourself, especially if you're, you're new to the church, I'm, like I could sort of see how maybe one person who, who experiences God and has some transformation, that would have an impact, maybe a local impact. But I'm not quite sure how this could be applied like on a global scale. How is it that one person's faith or a collective group of people's faith in Jesus, the peace they experience, what could that actually do? So to answer that question, I'm, I'm going to tell you a story uh, that I came across a little while ago through a podcast I was listening to. The guy's name was Jamie Winship. He's an author and speaker, Christian guy. Uh, and he is, his job throughout his life was to uh, go into areas of conflict and to try to, try to pacify those, those areas, those dynamics. He began as a police officer, NYPD. The government uh, saw him and so sent him. Uh, around the world, and he really sought to bring the peace of God to these different areas. He was in Iraq, Afghanistan, a lot of years in Indonesia. Uh, this story, though, that I'm going to tell you is about his son. His son's name is Caleb. He took his family with him wherever he went, and so they were living in Jordan for, uh, for a, a few years, and his son uh, was a teenager and met this uh, guy. Uh, he was a street guy. His name is Hamza, Muslim uh, kid. Uh, he was a uh, Caleb was a skateboarder. Apparently, they're skateboarding in Jordan, so they're skateboarding together. Uh, but this guy, Hamza, was a very, uh, very hard young man. Uh, as they got to know his story, he started to come over and hang out with them. He lived on the street. Uh, his, his dad had died of cancer when he was quite young. His mom was in a, a mental institution. His brother was in jail. Uh, Hamza was angry at pretty much the world. Angry at God, uh, the God that he knew, angry at uh, society, angry at everyone, but he sort of connected with Caleb. So Hamza started coming over to their home. He would eat meals with them, get to know them. Uh, there was a, a period of two years where they started to get very, very close, Caleb and Hamza. Uh, what Hamza didn't realize is that even though this was a Christian family, they talked about Jesus a lot, they were very open about it, uh, Caleb's mom was actually ethnically Jewish, and Hamza didn't, didn't know that. And Hamza was very uh, anti-Semitic, very against Jews. Every, all the time, he would, he would decry Israel, he would make jokes, he would tear down the, the Jewish people, considered that to be a source of, of what's wrong in the world, in the life. Caleb never told him that, that he had Jewish lineage. Until the time when he was gonna, their families had to go back to the United States. So Caleb said to Hamza, look, um, we're friends, right? He said, yeah, we're friends. Said, I love you, you're, you're, you're like my brother, right? Hamza couldn't quite say those words, but he's like, yeah, you're, you're my friend. Caleb said, listen, I, I just need to tell you, because uh, I don't want there to be anything, you know, missing between us that, um, that I'm, I'm actually Jewish. Uh, my mom, you know, my mom who, who cooks food for you, she's, she's Jewish. And Hamza was just like, 
like mouth open, dumbfounded. He's like, what, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, my, my mom heard, like, we're Christian, but she's Jewish. He's like, why, why didn't you tell me? All, all these years, I've been insulting your family. I've been insulting your, your mother. How, how could you not tell me? Why wouldn't you tell me this? How could I say it? all those things? You're just racked with guilt. Caleb said, listen, I know you didn't mean it. I know you're just speaking out of the hurt that you had. It's okay. Don't worry about it. We, we're friends. I love you. We're friends. Hamza couldn't get over it. He just was thinking about all the things that he said. Caleb said, listen, we want to bring you back with us to America. We want you. There's nothing here. Hamza couldn't pass school. He was working at McDonald's. He said, come, come back with us. Hamza, he, he, he couldn't handle it. It was overwhelming, just the, the love and the grace. He just so he said, no, 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 I, I can't. And, and they tried to pursue him. He said, no, no, I, I'm going to stay here. So they left. But Hamza, he couldn't stop thinking about it. He just couldn't put together in his brain, this is my enemy. This is my enemy that I hate, and yet he's shown me love for two years. Didn't even say anything. It just rocked his world. It started to, to make some cracks in the fissures of, of his heart to the point that he said, I, I, need, I need to go and be with Caleb. I, I don't know. I just need to find a way. And so there's a whole story, crazy story. He got a visa somehow to go to the United States, stayed with his family, got into community college. In time, he came to accept Christ came to believe that he was a child of God. He experienced the love and the peace of God. Here, here's what they would do now, Caleb and Hamza. On Friday nights or, or whatever night it is, they would sometimes go to mosques. And what Hamza, he would stand up, he would say, I, I'm Muslim. I was born Muslim. This is, this is my friend, my best friend. His name's Caleb. He's a Jew. I, I love him. He loves me. We're, we're both Christians. And, and we're united in Christ. This is the kingdom of God. Muslim and Jew, united in love, not in hate. This is the kingdom. Then the next week they go to the synagogue. They'd stand up and Caleb would speak. Hi, I'm a Jew. My mother's Jewish. This is my, my best friend. This is Hamza. We love each other. We're brothers. He's, he's a Muslim. We're united in Christ. This is the kingdom of God. This is what God does. Do you see the power there? Do you see how that's, what's the difference? The difference is it began in them. How? Because each one experienced the grace and the mercy of God and saw themselves, how? As, as a sinner, someone who needs the peace of God, needs the intervention and the power of God. From that, all other peace is possible. This is what Jesus came to do. To bring a peace that would begin in each human heart. How? By faith. By understanding who we are. As, as one who are lost, one who are so hard. And yet when we experience the love of God, every other piece is possible. And so at Christmas, at Christmas, we have the wonderful, beautiful opportunity to remember how genuine and true peace has come into the world. And our hope, my hope, is for each one here to know Christ in that way, to see that each one of us will never have genuine peace until we come to see ourselves as needing the peace of God, the work of Christ, the child who came, who went to the cross, who died and rose again so that we might have genuine life, genuine peace, genuine love. Let me pray for us as we close. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you didn't stay up in heaven. You didn't leave us to our own devices as, as we were just intent on living for ourselves. You came. You came out of grace. You came out of love. And it's a mystery, the depths of which are difficult to comprehend. And yet the truth is that you were fully God and you came in, in a child and lived a life for us. Went to the cross to bring peace between us and God. What a, what a wonderful thing. 
Lord Jesus, I pray for each one here. I pray, Lord, for the conflict we are struggling with. Lord, maybe it's just within ourselves, just unable to forgive ourselves. Maybe it's with, with others. Maybe this time of year is especially difficult because there are such divisions in our family. God, would you, would you help us to understand what it means to see ourselves in your eyes? That you, you don't look at us with, with conflicted, uh, angry, with an angry heart. You look at us in love. And we know that because you sent your son. Lord Jesus, I pray that each one here would, would grow in our understanding of you. Come to genuine faith. Come to experience your peace. And Lord, that then uh, our, our families, our cities, and indeed our world would be transformed as we live the peace that you've given us. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.